0: We wanna love like you. Love like
1: say hello to you um, if you would like to introduce yourself. So uh, one of the things that we have been doing throughout this series is um, we've been talking about what it means to believe in God just on a very basic level. And so we've been talking about like this is spring, spring training, spring practice. We're coming back into community, coming back into uh, in-person worship. Um, And so what does it mean to Be a Christian. What does it mean at the base level uh, to believe in God? And we have come to a a really famous chapter today in first John where phrases like uh, God is love is um, are are, are in that in that uh, section. And then perfect love casts out fear. And I wanted to um, I want to give you a story before I read the passage just to kind of give you a framework for how to think about uh, the term love itself. So there is a book on, on the back counter there by a guy named uh, David Benner. And Benner is a, a writer and he's also a therapist and he talks about seeing a, um, a troubled teenage girl named Amanda once that came into his office and she was dressed um, like a goth, and a very intense goth, uh, like with a, an industrial sized chain that connected a, a dog collar that she's wearing to, to her belt. And she didn't even acknowledge his presence when she walked into the door. But her mom was with her. And uh, he asked her, because this was his practice, he said, Amanda, would you be okay if your mom joined us in our, in our session when we, uh, when we talk? And she said, my mom is my best friend. And she's here because I invited her. And David was like, oh, that's, that's interesting, because he usually... Uh, sense his tension between uh, troubled teenagers and, and their mothers. And uh, so he asked, he's like, well, how did, how did that come about? How are you guys still so close? And she said, for as long as I can remember every night of my life, I end the day by getting in bed with my mother and snuggling. And her mother uh, disproved of her use of drugs, her promiscuous sex, her astoundingly profane language, as it says, her satanic practices, but her mother recognized that what this girl needed at this stage in her life was not lectures, um, but unconditional love. Um, that's the connotation of what this passage means when it says love, that God is love. It's a term called agape, okay? Um, this is God's word to you this morning. First John 4, 7-21. Beloved, That's God's word to you this morning. Um, it's our practice here at Redeemer to spend some moments in silence and ask God to reveal to us what this means for our lives. And so let's do that together. Father, it is a mysterious thing that you inhabit uh Not just individuals, but communities by your spirit. You indwell us. And when we love one another, when we uh, sacrifice for one another, when we move towards each other, even when it hurts, um, that is evidence that you're here. And so, Lord, I pray, even as we read these words and even as uh, I preach, that the Holy Spirit would be making us into a model home of the future, a little window of heaven. And it seems foolish to ask this because we know who we are. We know the brokenness that's within. We know how dysfunctional we can be, but that's not the point. The point is that you sent Jesus into the world to fix everything. And we're included in that everything. And so come now by your spirit and do it. In Christ's name, amen. So, when you hear the word love, you know almost, almost in, inevitably, we think of some sort of uh, sexual desire or romance. The Greek term for that, there, there's a biblical term for that called eros, so where we get the term erotic from. But the scriptures, when when it says love, specifically here in our passage, it's talking about uh, emptying yourself, your body, your mind, your soul. For the sake of another, um, sa- sacrifice is at the core of this, this agape. So I'm going to say agape and love a lot this morning. But when I say love, I'm referring to that word agape. What Amanda's mom gave to her each night as uh, she, didn't, she didn't retaliate, she, she didn't like focus in on how destructive her behavior was, but she just let her daughter come close and hug her. Um, is that is at the core of what agape is in a very small way, and God says that He is that. That God is love. That He's the uh, embodiment. He's the essence, um, and that's part of the, cent- the centrality of the universe is held together by that love, and that's uh, what makes the Trinity go round. It's what God has been sharing in and of Himself uh, before the world was even created. And then it exudes out, and God creates the world, and then he creates us. And so I, I realize it's very easy. I have this amazing ability to make something very, very simple, super complicated, which preachers do all the time. Um, and I, I'm going to try not to do that today. And so I want to talk about uh, love at its basic level. What, what is love's source? What is love's gift? And what is the purpose of love? okay. And uh, we we will follow the Trinity in in those points. The source of love is from God the Father. Verse 1. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So this is the radical teaching of, of Christianity. Without God... Without God, there is no love. Love doesn't come from thin air. That it has an origin. It has a source. And the source is the first person of the Trinity, God. And the scripture is saying that agape, love, finds its source in nowhere else but God himself. So, for instance, uh, if, if I have all the potatoes in town... In the town village, because I'm the, I'm the only potato farmer. I know no one else has any potatoes. And my neighbor, let's say Hedayah, he throws a mashed potato party. I know something has gone wrong. He got into my crop, you know. Um, that's what God is saying about love. It belongs to him. We get it from him. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. constantly said that this is the kind of love that can restore an entire nation. Agape. And it's from the God of the the Bible. He, He was not unaware of how bad his enemies could hurt him. He talked about justice constantly, but he said this is the center. Agape. And he was calling on Christians in the U.S., to live up to the standard in which they said they believed in. Uh, agape speaks into the areas in your life where you are angry and where somebody has caused you pain. And it asks you to move towards that person when it will cause sacrifice and pain to you for the sake of love. Meaning agape is actionable. It moves you into action. God makes the first move into creation towards you. And that order is important in verses 10 and 19. What that tells us um, is that this is not didn't originate in us and we don't act first. It's God that acts on us. And that is always the case. God takes the initiative with human beings. That's why we have a call to worship. It's God initiating into our lives and saying, hey, uh, I want to engage with you. It's like when, you know, when you get in a fight with somebody and you give each other the silent treatment because it's awkward, right? Um, It's always the person who wants to initiate in kindness that is the first mover towards love because they want you. They want you back. That's how God is. And many times, you know, when we think about belief in God, we we think, okay, I'm going to start loving God now. I want to investigate what, what it what it's like to love to love God. And before you get very far in the faith, what you begin to realize is that God had already put a bunch of things in place and had planned for you to make that choice that he initiated with you far before you did with him. The reason why this is important to understand, because the measure at which you are convinced of love's origin and order will be always the exact measure of love you show towards other people. You guys have heard me say this countless times. It's proportional. The measure at which you see God's love will be the measure at which you love others. And you may say, well, how can how can that even if this is true, even if this is the source of the universe like how does that change the way that I feel towards somebody? Um, how, how is it possible to love somebody that I hate? How can I sacrifice for someone who's already taken so much from me? And this is how we, we look to Jesus Christ. The second point the gift of love, the Son. Verses 8 through 10 God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, it's very easy with this topic because it's so big. To like lose the details of what it actually means in our lives. How does God love us like this? Well, in practicality, he says the way that we see how to do it is the fact that he became a human being and lived around like real people like John. And it changed John's life. John is said to have been walking around Ephesus older in his age, just mumbling to himself, beloved, love one another, beloved, like an old man out of his mind. Because because of his interaction with Jesus, he snuggled with Jesus, by the way, he laid on Jesus's chest and it changed him because God was a real person in the person of Jesus Christ. It was and this is, this is how uh, God talks about it. He says, this is my gift to you, earth. This is my gift to you, people. Um, This is my present to you. And one of uh, John's favorite verbs that he uses throughout this passage, too, is the word sent. He sent this from from the source of God himself. He sent Jesus to be our gift. You know, when you're a child, the and even when you're adult, uh, the anticipation of what could be under those presents, under the tree? It's exciting. It really is. Um, but there's nothing better than Christmas morning when you get to actually open those presents, right? And the glory of it. And the reason why is because you're unveiling something that was sent specifically for you. That will uh, make you delight, have delight. Now, Sinclair Ferguson gives this great uh, illustration, a famous illustration about uh, what's at the core of sin. And he says, imagine um, you have a, a father and a child, and that father takes the child all throughout the, a toy store that they just love. And they're looking at all these toys, and, and the father's saying, don't, don't all these toys look great, child? And, and the, the child's like, yes, dad. Um, and shows them toy after toy after toy. And then at the end of showing them all the toys in the store, the dad looks at the child and says, well, you can't have any of it. And that's how we are with God. That's what the root of sin is a distrust that God is out for our happiness and that he wants to shield all these good things from us. And this is the great hidden gift of God the Father. He says, I'm not like that. And to prove to you I'm not like that, I'm going to give you Jesus Christ, which is me in the flesh, which is the greatest gift I could possibly give you. And the reason why is because true life is in God, but there was something in between us and God. And it was that distrust that we didn't think his heart was uh, inclined towards our pleasure and towards our good. And just like it cost that mother not to lecture her daughter, not to retaliate when her daughter was destroying herself. She had to absorb it. And so God does not make us pay to get close to him. That is the heart of the word propitiation. I know that's a big word. Verse 10 propitiation means we are saved from ourselves And saved from our lust of the unloving world. And it's God allowing us to get close at his expense. He paid for it. Through Christ. Now, um, the reason why Christians make a big deal about sin. uh, Is because without it, there is no gospel. By not talking about sin or the consequences of living a life without Christ, what salvation has come to mean for many of us has absolutely no relevance for what I do today or tomorrow. Um, It is simply like something I wave towards God uh, so that I don't have to go to hell when I die. David Benner, he he talks about like this. This was his understanding of the gift of God, the gift of Jesus, when he grew up, he said it felt like it did feel like God was offering me a gift, but it, it was almost like he was offering me a gift at gunpoint. You know, it's like, why? Why is it like that? But this, this is the point that John has been making throughout his letter, that eternal life, belief in God isn't just about what happens when I die. Um, But it starts in the present and can give you assurance and confidence to know that you and God are one. And that gives you rest in all of your relationships. And it gives you rest about yourself internally. And if God is the source of life and love, you will experience that deep rest for your soul. And it's much more than than insurance. And this passage is saying that what holds the universe together is that an innocent person died for his enemies. That that's what makes the world and the fabric of the universe hold together. If you're angry or frustrated with someone, God does not look at the situations in your life that are hard and treat them as trivial. But what he does do is that he wants wants you to face the problem or the person that has caused you pain, and then he wants you to look to Jesus. And he wants you to know that sin was deeply personal to him. Just like that pain is deeply personal to you. It cost God the thing that he loved most to bring you near. So how does this inform the way that you live? Um, I, I used to give these books of poetry to my students when I was in RUF when they graduated from college, uh, and it was a, a T.S. Eliot poem, and I would write like notes to them about who they were as people, and it, and it was nice, you know. Um, but what if after each student graduated, instead of a, a book of poetry, what if like I paid off their student loans? You know, it's just, a, it's just a different type of gift, right? Uh, it's a better one. Um, when you understand the costliness of God sending his son into the world for you, then all the people that you let get off the hook, all the people that you forgive, it's, it's like giving a book of poetry as compared to student loans. Compared to Jesus's forgiveness and sacrifice, you cannot. It's impossible to give somebody more than what God's given you. That's why it's all connected. Uh, I want to talk about and and this is this is the part that as I was thinking about, especially for us, I'm excited to share this with you this morning. Um, The purpose of love is so that the Spirit would show us first what it means to believe the gospel and experience it ourselves, and to expand that out into the world. Verse 11 and through 13, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected means it reaches its goal or reaches its completion. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. The purpose for love is so that people can experience and see God among each other. I want you to pay attention to this quote very closely. Okay by a guy named John Stott. He says, The unseen God, who once revealed himself in his Son, now reveals himself in his people if and when they love each other. God's love is seen in their love because their love is his love imparted to them by the Spirit. The words do not mean that when we begin to love, God comes to dwell in us, but the reverse, our love for one another is evidence of God's indwelling spirit. The idea of community in the Bible. It's rooted in this term called, it gets translated fellowship. It's a terrible translation. It's a word called koinonia. And what that means is that when a group of people get together and what centers them and what rallies them is an innocent person dying for his enemies and then they extend that same grace and forgiveness to each other, that that is what heaven is going to look like. Because that's where God lives. That that is the type of community or environment in which houses God. And that it's so addictive to the human soul that people will be drawn to it and changed through agape. That's what Christian community is. Verse 12, uh, this in some ways uh, means that we don't we don't fully know God until we know how to practice self-sacrificial agape. That we don't even know what belief is fully. And you can't practice this type of this is the beautiful thing. You can't practice this type of costly love until you've been hurt or until you hurt somebody. Until you've been the forgiver or the forgiven. And it is in your pain that you have a chance to experience the the love of Christ completed in your very existence. That I mean, the scriptures talk about this. We fill up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Continuing on. That's the work of the spirit. This is how this is how you believe the gospel. You love one another when it hurts. Through receiving and extending that love with somebody else. This is why it's so crucial to stick it out with a Christian community, especially when you're angry. Because you can't learn this in a classroom. You can't learn this from somebody preaching it to you. You have to experience it. You must experience the pain of Christian community. If you want to believe C.S. Lewis uh, gave this example about what it means to extend charity. He called love charity, this agape. And he says, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets of the universe. When you are acting as if you love someone, you know what happens? You begin to love them. Something gets born in you. You get born from above. And bam, you're converted. Through the Spirit, this is what happens. Through the Holy Spirit, we ourselves become a vehicle through which the gospel is known to others, but more importantly to ourselves. Something comes to life in us that was not there. through your love. Which can happen every day. The purpose of this kind of love is to, you guys know this, is to transform entire communities into a different type of atmosphere. This is how God prefers to work through broken people. I don't know why He chose that way, but that's how He likes to work. And if you've ever seen it happen firsthand, which many of you have, What it does is that it has another purpose. It gives you confidence to face God. It gives you confidence to know that it's going to go well for you when God judges everything in justice. And you may ask, well, how how can we love? You know, this this is the question that I think the church needs to ask. And we need to ask ourselves. Many of us are, are like incomprehensible to one another. We're looking at the same stuff and coming to the exact opposite conclusions. And you're like, how can you believe in Jesus and do that or say that or vote that or whatever, you know? Um, and this is what the spirit does. It, it comes into a community like that and says, do not dismiss your brother or sister. No matter what. What if they, what if they did the worst thing? What are you called to do? What centers you? An innocent person dying for his enemy. Ain't nobody innocent in here. And this is what it means, y'all. Um, to to be this type of community, you know you know what you have to do. You got to be around one another. You got to be face to face with one another. You got to get offline. You've got to be in the presence of somebody that you can hurt, that you can forgive, that you can have fun with, and live life. And God will show up. My buddy was talking about a friend who was learning how to swim later on in her life. She was in her late, late 30s, early 40s, and so she started taking swim lessons. And after a while, she asked the instructor... She's like, I, we, I really want to swim fast. How do I swim fast? And the instructor looked at her and said, the, the way that you swim fast is that you swim fast. <laughs> uh, the way that you love is that you love. It ain't complicated. It's just hard. You know what to do. I know what to do. And this leads us to the final reason why God loves us. It's to eradicate fear. That fear doesn't have a place when your gut instinct towards those who may even hate you is to move towards them in love. There is no place for fear in an environment like that. But the worst thing you can do to me is is, is to take my life okay. Verse 17 through 21. The other huge part of what love does is that it gives us confidence to face God's judgment. And what that does is that it casts out fear. And there's a sense into which one of the main things that uh, pushes us to hate one another. Human beings do terrible things when we're afraid. And so we get scared. We get scared of one another. We get scared of God and we don't know how to move towards one another. And what love does is it comes in and says, you don't have to be afraid. I'll give you a hug. Move. Verse 20 and 21 is saying that if you're angry at another Christian, typically that's rooted in fear that God's not going to take care of something. And we're frantic. God's never anxious. He's never wringing his hands. And it feels like God's being negligent. If if that's what it feels like in your life and you want to take matters into your own hands, the only response is is to get angry or violent and, and to hate. And what this anger and hatred produces in you, the hater, is an unhealthy fear of God's judgment on you. And verse 20 is saying a person in the church is the closest visible display of God that we have on earth. You see God in other people. You can't even see God. He's invisible. But when you stand before another human being, you are in essence in the presence of the image of God. And if you can't learn to love what's right before you, how are you going to learn to love God? You see how it all, it's all connected. And many are saying today, today uh, I'm a Christian, but I don't like Christians or the institutional church. And John is saying, that's the point. That's the very point. You're supposed to move towards people that you don't like. If you had love for people that you wouldn't naturally sacrifice for, that's how God makes himself known in the world. God wants you to work it out through love. He wants me to work it out through love, which hurts. Those are the times in the Christian life, um, you know, when I I've, I've d- have like one thimble taste of experience about what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I'm very bad at loving people. But when I do, even if it's for like half a day, um, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I want the end to come. Not like not like in a weird way unhealthy way but it's just like I want God to come back and restore all of us because sin has warped everything and it's so hard it's so it's so hard to to believe and what it what it makes you want to do is like I long to see God I I I long for for when I look at you and when you look at me that that I'm not afraid, and you're not afraid of me, and we see each other as if we're glorified in heaven. And therefore, I can move towards you in Christ. So, when you practice this, um, you want to face the judgment. Like it becomes, you anticipate it, because that's when God will make everything new. That's when there will be no more fear. There will be no more hiding, and the longing for that end, that confidence that it's going to go well with you, when you see God, can that that can begin today. You can live like that. It's possible, and the way it's possible is that you keep your mind on the Trinity. God's the source of love. The Son is the gift of love. And we rely on the Holy Spirit to make us into lovers of one another. And you never give up hope. Um, I'll close with this. Anthony in the desert, one of the Desert Fathers. He said, uh, every morning, I must say again to myself, today I start. Now, that's how addicts think, by the way. Um, The flesh is so addictive to all of us that we have to begin again every single day. I forgot how to love. Okay, we can start over because I have that freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us into this community that extends agape to one another. Um, Not because love is cheap, uh, but precisely the opposite. Because your love costs so much, therefore, we extend that love to each other. And we, we know it. As human beings, we instinctively know it. Uh, when we see it, though, no, that's right. That's right.
0: That's, that's right.